Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. So we're back here at Mindspace. Welcome back. Uh, but this episode's a little different. Evan, are you leaving? I am. This is actually my last episode of Mindspace, unfortunately. Oh, why? What have I done wrong? <laughs> you have done nothing. But I, I got a new job. Um, I probably can't talk about it much on air, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure Secretary people's... of State? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Biden added me to his cabinet. Um, <laughs> I'll be moving up to DC next week. So, well, it, I, it, that's not it. I know what it is, but I won't say. But I want to tell everybody in the Mindspace universe um, and in every universe uh, what a good job you've been doing and what, what a great job you've done and, and how sad I am to see you go. Although, very, very excited about your new opportunity because it's a great one. And, um, and again, remember that someday I may work for you and, and that uh, you should remember that uh, I've been a, a really good guy so far. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think I think you definitely deserve at least two weeks vacation. Excellent. That's great. I'll take them even if I don't get the job. How about that? But uh, but uh, it's uh, it's going to be uh, different without you. But help. Thank you so much for helping us build this. Uh, uh, it's been great. We're up to what 20, 20 couple episodes. 20 this is our twenty first episode. Yeah. Look at that. Time flies. Half a year, right there. Literally. Yeah. Wow. Happy six month anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you get me? resignation oh not <laughs> but um we got a good show uh today uh and it's a great one uh it'd be a great one for any week but it's 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 really good for uh for this uh, auspicious moment because it's it shows a tandem of and people working together really well because this week we have two guests and they're they're inseparable um and uh we um could learn a lot about collaboration from Paul Wernick and, and Rhett Reese, uh, who are two very cool guys, very funny guys, um, who are one of the top screenwriting duos in Hollywood. Uh, and, and they are best known for their work on the Deadpool franchise and on the Zombie Link franchise. Two franchises that are full of meaning, even if they are also full of hollow point humor. Uh, the, the guys, uh, have had a lot of success with rated R action humor movies. And, and that's a tough, uh, tough, very particular tonality uh, to pull off, you know? Yeah. You know, what's interesting about them, and this is something that I haven't thought of until now, but you know, in the early days of Netflix, when they started streaming, um, it was like almost right when they had first started their streaming service, as well as their movie delivery service. I specifically remember Zombieland being one of the first big title movies that they had on the site. And for me, who at that time was in eighth grade, that, you know, all my friends were like, oh, this is a movie we probably, you know, wouldn't have seen otherwise. 
but then we ended up watching it and loving it. And so I think, you know, that probably helped that movie a ton being on Netflix in the early days when everybody started kind of subscribing to this new streaming service and this new like form of, you know, media. It's crazy. Or it's just kind of crazy to think about. I haven't thought about that, you know, since that happened, but um, you know, that kind of just crossed my mind. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's one of those movies and it's appropriate for a zombie movie, but it it had a second life, you know? Um, And it's, it's interesting when that happens, you see like movies like, I think um, Sin City, for instance, I think a lot of people found that one on, on, on Blu-ray and DVD, um, where the classic example, Shawshank Redemption, you know, I mean, that movie was a failure at movie theaters um, and, you know, did not do particularly well uh, at the box office, uh, but it came and had a second, you know, uh, it got a, a pardon, so to speak, um, with its arrival on another media, um, in another medium, uh, when it when it became in heavy rotation on TNT uh, and TBS, you know, when it became like a huge go-to TV presentation, and 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 it sort of it reversed into its its fame. You know, now it's if you look on like IMDb, the user rating for all-time films, like the best films. Uh, it's ranked number one. You know, I mean, that's a movie, and it's a movie that, you know, very, very few people uh, met on the big screen. Almost everybody met that one on a small screen. And, and Zombieland, as you say, had a similar um, kind of uh, boomerang path to pop, uh, to pop culture, you know, uh, notoriety, uh, which is why one of the reasons contributing to the uh, huge gap between Zombieland and Zombieland 2, I think it was. Uh, it was a uh, 10, 10 years and yeah, uh, 10 years, almost exactly. I think. Yeah. 10 years and two weeks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, uh, just really, I would love, I read an article when Zombieland 2 is coming out, but I would love to see, I mean, they, they said this in the article, but I would love to see a Zombieland movie every 10 years, you know, how <laughs> that's like yeah. the best way to see how is this, uh, you know, zombie universe progressing in Zombieland yeah. 2, Zoe Dutch, I think is her name. That's right. Um, plays this kind of, you know, kind of clueless girl who's been locked in a freezer for 10 years. And uh, in the car, she's talking about, she has this great idea for like a taxi service that you use your phone and, you know, you can you just get picked up by people on your phone and all the other characters laugh at her about how dumb of an idea it is. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Yeah, because it was funny because I was like, oh yeah, because, you know, in this zombie universe, Uber never existed. It was right. just like a really clever way to you know, kind of incorporate some things it but, really um, was. It really was. You know, I, I remember that line as well. And, and it, it catches the ear um, because we all felt like that. Like when we heard the, the concept of Uber, uh, like, that's not going to work, you know? Um, yeah. And it, so it's, uh, and it feels like uh, it's locked in our mind about roughly when that was. So it was a very clever way to do that. You know, with the second one, they had uh, a co-writer, David, uh, David Callahan, and their executive producers and, and, uh, I don't know whose joke that was specifically, but it was very, very clever. And, and I thought her performance in, in particular was really, really good in the second one. It's, it's hard to, to, you know, there's all kinds of history in Hollywood that shows how hard it is to make a sequel if you let too much time go by. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Maleficent uh, has been one of, uh, sequel was a, was a really strong recent example where it just took a little too long to get that second one in. 
and you know there wasn't like a huge groundswell for that movie I think, yeah. anyway and i think it really kind of hurt that second film which could have done a lot better if it if it kind of was closer together sometimes it hurts films iron man 2 you know i think john favreau and 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 uh kevin feige and robert downey jr would have all loved more time to make that second film but that they they knew that uh, they had a firecracker with the first one they needed to get his that second one out as quickly as possible uh, uh, to meet the wishes of all the, uh, the corporate masters who's, who knew exactly what they had in their hands. So there's that that tug back and forth, but it shows how uh, how much the first film, uh, the first Zombie Land, connected with people that uh, the second one had just a really strong out of the box, even above expectations, uh, uh, premiere uh, when it hit theaters. You know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, uh, before we get to the actual interview, I know you have sort of an interesting way that you met these guys. Yeah, I, I met uh, Paul and, and Rhett uh, when they called me to apologize because they had uh, unknowingly and uh, without any uh, transgression had cost me a kind of a, a pretty big scoop of like a big exclusive I had been sitting on what it was is um, the second Deadpool movie was uh, re-released or reframed uh, and re-released as a PG-13 film uh, with, you know, like I think it was about 20 minutes of new footage and about eight, 18 minutes taken out. I'm not sure the numbers anymore, but, um, and uh, I found out about this happening and it was kind of a big deal because it meant that the Deadpool franchise would, could go to China, you know, that market, mm -hmm. they, China won't take rated R films. You know, they won't just don't touch them. So, uh, you know, no, no um, Chinese market potential for the Deadpool franchise has limited it. Uh, with the second film, they were able to, to uh, in this clever way, repackage it and sneak it in <clears throat> and do quite well there. And uh, I found out that this was happening and um, before it was announced. Um, and I reached out to, uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, who, who I had known, I had written about like uh, when he was in that movie, Green Lantern, Lantern, excuse me. Oh, and yeah. I've interviewed him on stage at Comic-Con and, and uh, we really hit it off. You know, I really liked the guy a lot. I've always thought Ryan was a really a terrific guy. And so I, he had given me his email and um, I emailed him and said, hey, I heard you're doing this and stuff. And he's like, can I talk to you right away? Can I call you? And I'm like, sure, yeah. And he called and he's like, look, Jeff, you gotta, this is Ryan Reynolds saying, you got you to sit on this if you can, or can you wait? Uh, is there any way I could talk you into not going with the story? Because it's it's, we're trying something different, and, and it's at a real fragile timing, and the studio's not even sure yet. And, and I said, stop, stop. Yes, of course, I'll just I'll sit on it. Just tell me when is good for you, basically. Um, and I'll, I'll sit on it. Um, but in exchange, you know, if I could get extra access to you know, really cool information or he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give anything and everything that, you know, um, we can do. So I was going to do that. I had just started working at deadline and I was going to break this story. And I was re really pretty excited to like have a big scoop like that. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, my first, I think first week. Uh, and then, uh, uh, Paul and Rhett did a Q and a, at a, a movie screening, uh, and uh, someone said, so what are you working on? And they're like, oh, we're doing this thing. You know, we shouldn't talk about it. And then like told everybody in the world about it. So uh, 
I woke up and I had already written a story and I had it saved and I had quotes and everything and I was gonna, but I didn't want to undermine the thing, especially because there was a charity component to it. You know, mm. uh, it was a fundraiser for uh, uh, Fuck Cancer, the charity, which is a wonderful, wonderful charity with a fun name. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I was sitting on it also because it, it I didn't want to provably do something that was going to undermine a charity event you know like yeah. I mean, that's like even worse than just uh just kind of being a, uh, reckless about it so uh that's how we met they called and they're like we're so sorry we didn't know you know no one no one told the writers no one tells us anything and um <laughs> and they're like what can we what can we do to make it up to you and i'm like uh oh well you know it, it, it is what it is i i understand it uh but if you guys can do interview with me now and tell me everything about everything that would be great yeah. <laughs> so so we did that and and uh and i got ryan on the phone and everything worked out well anyway but so we there's something though about starting from a starting a professional relationship or uh uh you know a reporter source relation relationship when it starts bumpy but then both sides do something really cool or uh perceivably do something cool where they like you know I was like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine, you know, and, and try to make, you know, not punish them for it, like uh, emotionally or in any other way, just kind of saying, don't, you know, don't worry about this. And then them being so apologetic and and, and so willing to to uh, give me extra time and with the interviews and stuff like that. Um, it has the effect of making that relationship much stronger than if you just met in the normal circumstances. So to start with a challenge and then overcome that challenge tends to make people remember each other. Um, so I've had a really good relationship with these guys ever since. So I try to start every relationship in Hollywood with, with, a, with a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that works out for you. Um, so far, not so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's very cool. Actually, you know, they talk a little bit about their um, working relationship um, and they, uh, they're coming up on their 20th year working together, which is crazy. Yeah. We don't hear very many writing duos, you know. I mean, what, the Beatles were what, like 10 years? Oh, less than that, yeah. yeah. I mean, in the studio, they were only in the studio 63 to, uh, their studio output was six years. Yeah, I just saw our um, editor, Garrett, unmute himself for a second, because I'm sure he wanted to say something about that. He's a huge Beatles fan. But, oh. um, uh, but yeah, so it's very cool to see, you know, a writing duo that has, you know, thrown out two huge franchises and then they have so much more on the way. You know, they have a new movie with Netflix and Chris Hemsworth coming out this year. Yeah. Um, you know, they have more movies that they're not really allowed to talk about yet that are kind of more in a pre-production stage. That's right. um, but, you know, there's a lot more on the way from them. Yeah, um, they're, they're, they're really, it is interesting. And, you know, not to interrupt, but they almost had another big thing uh, and it's intriguing the way it didn't happen. Sometimes things in Hollywood that don't happen are almost as interesting as the things that do happen. But they were brought in, uh, uh, Sean Bailey over at Disney, um, brought them over to revive and relaunch and uh, you know, rethink the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which is a huge franchise for Disney, you know, but is it a real crossroads or, uh, you know, crosswinds maybe, uh, if, to, to use a maritime uh, <laughs> analogy, but, uh, you know, without, you know, I mean, the Johnny Depp issue is like, you know, Johnny is his relationship with his audience and what he represents to that audience 
has changed uh, in recent years uh, for a, a couple different reasons, but I mean, there's legal issues and the, the really awful uh, divorce and everything uh, has made it, you know, very unlikely that he's going to continue as Jack Sparrow in that franchise, you know, because I mean, it, it's very, he's got a really good contract and it costs a lot of money to make those movies and he ain't cheap and he doesn't, and he should be, but uh, you know, they, they have the value of the name of the franchise. They have, the, of course, the theme park ride uh, and all this history and everything. And, and they, they, it's their highest grossing live action uh, franchise, you know? Uh, well, I mean, Star Wars is, I guess, you, you know, but as far as the uh, one in-house that they created and, and they've had throughout, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a key, key thing for them. And, and, uh, and Rhett and Paul were really excited about being brought over on it to do it. And, um, they just, you know, had to, it didn't work out, you know, so they couldn't figure out how to do, how to make a Pirates movie without Johnny that everybody wanted to see that um, was going to uh, make it edgier too, because that was the, uh, the uh, task given to them is, you know, to make this, to make the Pirates movies as edgy as the Deadpool movies, you know, to make it. Oh, the, wow. Because, yeah. you know, that first Pirates movie, when it came out, that was kind of a punk rock movie. In the, in the sense of it was really breaking a lot of rules like you know um, well, look what it's based on you know it's based on that like child ride of dancing pirates and singing songs and yeah, then you go, and, and, and haunted mansion had come out not that long before that you know with yeah Andy murphy and and there not a lot of people were in line for that movie uh <laughs> but the, besides the concept of heritage you also have the fact that you know on on the page jack sparrow's character in the script was a lot like Orlando Bloom's character. Uh, Johnny is the one that invented the the sort of the sort of the bleary uh, hangover kind of fay flamboyant uh, you know caricature version. I mean, he's basically doing Keith Richards the whole time. But um, you know that was in the script. And Disney executives were like aghast when he when he start when he showed up at the set and just started doing that. They're like, you, we can't do this. There's you know, it's not like everybody was on board for that. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty punk rock thing that he and Gore Verbinski did. Um, but, you know, uh, Sean Bailey wanted to recapture that. Um, I didn't talk to them about that um, because, you know, it didn't happen. And, and I know that they had to walk away from it. And uh, I, I, it's a conversation for another day. I'd love to do a show on it sometime and, and bring bring back and, and talk about. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we can pirates. really dissect that whole process. In a, yes and no you know see the thing is is that when something like that happens and people walk away from something like that and disney it was mutual on both sides I, you know they just felt like they weren't getting what they needed with story-wise mm -hmm. and everything everybody signs you know uh, non-disclosure agreements you know that i mean oh, that's yeah. why you know i mean disney doesn't want them going around saying yeah well you know that franchise can't be saved you know and and they wouldn't say that anyway but yeah you know so uh it's a little it's a, a tricky thing but uh I didn't want them to walk the plank on us for this first interview, so I, did not, <laughs> I didn't get into the pirates thing. We only stuck to the movies that they have made and are making, but uh, well, maybe another day I can I can uh, get them to come back for that. For sure. Yeah. And you know we look forward to that. But unless you have anything else, well, no. you know what uh, I think that uh, you mentioned, Garrett. Maybe we'll, of course we'll be back after the interview for the the send off. Um, but you should introduce Garrett because I, you know, Garrett's going to be a bigger part of the show, probably, right? Yeah, I think so. 
Um, Garrett is our editor. He's the one who I, who makes us sound sharp. Um, you, well, I well, do my best. Yeah, he does his best. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, with me leaving the show, you'll see other people start to kind of step in and fill roles. And so you start, our listeners might start, might start hearing names that um, sound a little unfamiliar. But, you know, for the next couple of weeks, as, you know, some restructuring happens, as they, you know, hire 10 people to fill, you know, my role. I'm just kidding. But, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, Garrett will still be here. Um, there might be a couple other people in the mix now, but uh, everything's still kind of, you know, the beginning of restructuring. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, so Garrett is the editor on the show. Um, he deserves credit and maybe we'll start putting him in the credits, but. Um, <laughs> um, actual credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll give an actual credit, but um, yeah. And if I sound different in the weeks to come, it's because I've given Garrett instruction to make me younger, smarter, uh, richer, uh, that filter. Give me the one that's going to make me sound smarter, younger, richer. Okay. <laughs> I'm working on figuring out how to get all those combined into one. Just into, it has to be all three too. So, but I don't want the listeners to be confused if they start not knowing who I am. <laughs> yeah. So, so but, we'll, we'll see more of Garrett in the future or the listeners will hear more of Garrett in the future. Um, and they'll hear less of me, but <laughs> Um, unless there's anything else, Jeff, uh, we'll get to the interview. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, Rhett Reese, welcome Paul Wernick to Mindspace. This is a, it's a real treat to have you guys. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. You know, I think I wrote a story about you guys, um, probably a little more than a year ago. And I said, are they the funniest guys in Hollywood or just the hottest writers? And I think that that's a pretty pretty glowing statement, but I really do think you guys live up to it. I, I love the movies that you write and, and the way that you, uh, you approach humor that is, uh, can be scaldingly funny and uh, inappropriate uh, and heinous, uh, really, but somehow <laughs> manages to have a lot of heart. That article you did write calling us the hottest writers in Hollywood got my daughter a lot of dub at school. She was showing it off like for show and tell, like, hey, check this out. My dad's like the hottest writer in Hollywood. I'm like, Oh, please. This is what happens in Los Angeles. We got to move out of Los Angeles. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, uh, that's good, though, because you guys, I I also remember that you described yourselves as as being like human wedges that were being driven between parents and tweeners, tweens all over America because of the, uh, for the very things I'm talking about. I mean, Deadpool, uh, Deadpool 2 and Zombieland and uh, its much more recent and great success sequel things that you guys have been affiliated with as writers and producers, they just, every kid wants to see them, but uh, oh my goodness, those movies. Well, we, we had some of those same movies when we were kids, you know, the transgressive uh, early 80s, late 70s movies that your parents didn't want you to see and somehow you had to wait for on VHS. And so I guess we're- You're really, dating us terribly, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you have to wait for it on Betamax. That's what. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Remember, as uh, uh, you know, uh, Daryl Zanuck was telling me, you know, <laughs> you guys are like uh, going back to the beginning. Right. Um, what about you know? Talk a little bit about that though, because it, there were movies that were transgressive and subversive uh, in the era that you're talking about, but they they were a lot of them were pretty different. They, it's surprising how much like watching E.T. or Goonies, like the way that language is used that doesn't really seem to have a point or a payoff or anything like the language that you would never hear necessarily in a PG movie, you know, coming out these days. 
Um, but you guys, of course, pushed the, the envelope in a, in a far different direction. Which, which were some of the transgressive ones that you were kind of weaned on? Well, I was sort of thinking about the Mel Brooks and uh, the, I guess maybe to a lesser extent, they weren't too transgressive, but the Zucker brothers. And then, of course, the Animal Houses, you know, you know yeah. movies like that. And movies that just felt a little dangerous. I think comedy sometimes is at its best when it feels a little dangerous, when you're not sure you, you can, ex you, you can uh, expect what's coming out of a character's mouth. And sometimes it is a little transgressive and you have to kind of ride that line because now society takes much more offense than it used to at things and you can get yourself in hot water quicker. But uh, almost every joke we're passing through some sort of filter of, is it funny? Is it, is it a little dangerous or, or is it too dangerous? Yeah. And we pull back from the occasion. And you know, we sometimes push almost irrelevance into our, you know, in, in the sense of of the, these obscure jokes that really only a few people in the theater will get and laugh at. And and th those are actually some of our favorites, you know. Yeah. No. And and uh, just the use of music and the way that you guys in your films uh, have used things like credits and interstitial stuff and breaking the fourth wall. I mean, all those things kind of speak uh, to that Mel Brooks tradition. I hadn't really put that together in my mind until just now, but, um, and like him, um, it's, uh, what's the old saying, you know, uh, uh, faithful to none, loyal to all. Uh, you, you guys take shots in all directions, but everything seems to kind of center back on the character too. Like it's not just flimsy jokes for joke's sake. Yeah, Blazing Saddles was the first R-rated movie I ever saw actually. Really? Yeah. And I saw it, me and my brother saw it about a hundred times. We had it on VHS and we we could have cited that movie to you line for line for the last probably 25 years. I've forgotten a bunch. That's amazing. I'm like that with the airplane. Like oh, for me, airplane. So oh, me too. It's just... Me too. In fact, Jerry Zucker uh, was a fan of the Deadpool movies and he made a, he, he signed air, airplane posters for us. And that might be the high point of my career because I, I worship those men. Oh, wow. That's really fantastic. That's like uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld and, and Howard Stern sort of bonding over the fact that they each have Mad Magazine covers in their, their respective offices, which I thought was really oh. speaks, says a lot about both of them. Uh, we love Mad Magazine. I love, I can't speak for Paul. I love yeah. Mad Magazine. That was a pretty edgy thing at its time, at least for kids and, and and you're right about the equal opportunity of offense like uh ryan taught us a good lesson which is make fun of yourself mix that in and, and it can help take the sting off but but as long as you're punching in every direction possible you can get away with more you don't want to keep punching down you can occasionally punch down but as long as you're punching sideways up and also at your own face occasionally yeah. you know it makes it easier yeah and and ryan gives you guys such a uh i mean such a nimble instrument to uh, to fire in all directions you know um it's i mean and we've talked a little bit about this in the past but i mean the guy uh i've always thought johnny depp could have been uh, a modern day valentino with the way that he acts without speaking uh just his face and his expressiveness of emotion uh many people have pointed that out and i think ryan with his his performances in, in the deadpool movies has shown just a level of physical comedy and uh kind of a uh, a startling ability to express himself uh, in a full, uh, you know, faceless mask. Uh, I mean, that's, it's pretty extraordinary. It really is. You know, we're big fans of slapstick comedy. We always have been. I mean, it's, it's sometimes when it's broad and stupid, it can be the worst kind of comedy, but when it's great, 
uh, physical comedy, I think, is the purest form of comedy. Now, you think back to cavemen, and probably before they could even speak, they were laughing at pratfalls, right? And so there is something very pure about it. And, and we could always tell, I mean, oftentimes a, a Deadpool would walk onto set in suit, and we weren't sure at first whether it was Ryan or one of the doubles in, in the scene, like, because it was, they used, they doubled him here and there. But the body language immediately gave it away. Like, Ryan was so, so funny, the way he comported himself, the way his posture, uh, his gestures with his hands, the slight cock of his head, like that there were there was a great deal of attention to paid to that. behind that mask is virtually impossible, and yet Ryan does it just effortlessly. I mean, I know it's not effortless. He works, you know, terribly hard at his craft, but he is just brilliant at it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a Cary Grant level as far as uh, leading man with an incredible comedic aptitude that somehow is is routinely undervalued like uh, even it's hard to say Cary Grant's undervalued but he is in still I think his comedic stuff you know like bringing up baby and I mean the things that he did in those movies and and Ryan is just taking it to like a sort of a, a Buster Keaton or uh you know Harold Lloyd level uh yes. with uh, the context of the screen and, and the performance and then being being slightly ju uh, there's a real juvenile quality and almost a feminine quality yeah. in some of the things he does, which really, um, it bundles together with the violence in a really interesting way. It, it makes the violence um, somehow safer than if, if he was like John Wick coming through a room, it'd be very hard to be funny, uh, just physically, you know? You're absolutely right. There are a lot of different facets to that, to that physical performance. And, you know, Deadpool, well, the original movie, we conceived that he would be uh, Ryan Reynolds, his handsome self, for about a third of the movie, and then Deadpool in makeup, meaning that gross scarred look for about a third of the movie, and then the costume for about a third of the movie. And I think the challenge for Ryan was you got to be able to act, you know, you got to be sort of funny as your handsome self, which is probably the greatest liability because someone who's handsome, you know, they, I think it detracts from their ability to play the underdog and to, you know, get away Red, with things. Red the way has someone that problem who's, all the time, right? <laughs> right exactly uh but then you know under the scar makeup you've got the difficulty of just acting with all that stuff on your face and can you still and then you take it even one step further you put put someone behind a mask and obviously we use cgi if you watch the movie closely the mask doesn't move more than uh, just a still mask would its eyes widen in certain points and you can see it move in certain ways the, but the computer was always essentially enhancing what Ryan would have been doing under the mask. So, but the challenge was to, to be able to be funny in all three facets. And they would shoot us, you know, they would go back and shoot his lines with the VFX with, with the camera without the mask on in his trailer to kind of get the way he's emoting as he's saying, you know, each line. So, yeah. So the, all that put together gives you that bundled, you know, uh, final performance, uh, it just really is pretty extraordinary. And, and I think the movies, um, what's amazing about them, and, and they've been super, super successful. Uh, you know, uh, the biggest, I think uh, the second Deadpool had the second biggest rated R opening in Hollywood history behind only the first Deadpool, um, if I remember right. And the year that, uh, in 2018, uh, the Deadpool sequel was, uh, I believe, the fifth highest grossing film in the domestic market that year but it was the only one that Fox had in the top 30. So, I mean, talk about being franchise players uh, in, that, in that difficult era at that, in that kind of unusual setting. 
think of how grim it would have been without you guys uh, kind of, you know, I mean, that's been a, quite a grim drumbeat for Fox on uh, before the merger. Boy, we should uh, talk more often, Jeff. This is nice. <laughs> <laughs> so besides being too handsome to get away with comedy, no. Um, <laughs> Well, and also, you know, one of the things that you guys pulled off too is, and, uh, and with Ryan is that, you know, Deadpool took years to get made because no one wanted to make a, a rated R, hard R film, uh, superhero movie. Uh, there had been some, of course, you know, like things like Hancock or Kick-Ass, um, but no one really wanted to do the movie. And, and it was Ryan that kind of, for years, I remember talking to him about it. Uh, and and several points thinking it just wasn't going to happen, you know, to break the rules and show uh, show what things could be, and then to go back and and with the Deadpool edit that you guys did, uh, the PG thirteen, you you broke your own rules. Like so, you broke a rule, you broke the rule that you can't make a hard R superhero franchise, and as soon as you did one, you made it into a PG thirteen franchise, which uh, it just it, I think you guys are just showing off uh, at that at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that was uh, uh, that was all about Fred Savage, right? You know, Paul had this idea of what if, if what if you're doing Princess Bride, and and what if it's Deadpool sitting by the bed of actual Fred Savage, and Fred is the funniest guy. I mean, he's probably the most underrated comic actor in town. Like, it just he does not get as much love as maybe he deserves. But uh, and then watching the sparks fly between him and Ryan was was a, a and the dirty little story. secret about Once Upon a Deadpool, it was actually we did it to get into China to get Deadpool right. into China so because they would not let the the R-rated version into China. Um, and even when you guys did it, it wasn't clear that they were gonna, going to go for it, right? No, okay. it was still, yeah, it was still a long shot. Fox was gambling that they would let it in. That's fantastic. And with Zombie, and, did. and with Zombieland 2, you guys essentially had a, a, a movie that predated a lot of the big zombie stuff. I mean, it was pre-Walking uh, Dead. It was pre-World War Z. It was pre- Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, all those. Um, and uh, not only was it successful and caught all these actors on the way up, everybody got bigger after the film uh, success, but then you came back into the sequel, I think 10 years and, and like two weeks later, uh, that, that did really, really super well. Um, for you, uh, well, first of all, is, will you guys reload again in another 10 years? Or are you going straight to Broadway this time? Or what, <laughs> what's yeah. the next? Uh, the next zombie land. Have your answer that well. Uh, look, we love the world. Uh, we love everyone involved in it. It's uh, one big happy family. You know, Zombie Land is at its core a story about this dysfunctional family. And we kind of that that's what we all are. Um, and uh, look, we'd love it. I don't know if it's going to happen. Everyone's so very expensive, and everyone's time is so very precious, and so. We all got together on the last one, and it was a wonderful experience. I don't know if it'll it'll see more light of day. Broadway musical. We've been bugging Gavin about pushing this thing as a Broadway musical for about five or five or eight years. So, um, look, who knows? Stranger things have happened. It started as a TV show. We wrote it as a TV pilot. Became wow. a movie. Went back to Amazon to become a TV pilot again. Did a sequel. So who knows what's in store for the future? No, it, it obviously this thing can't be killed and it, it wants more brains. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And exactly. I mean, if we have if we have a brand, I mean, and I don't know if we do, we kind of like to think that we don't, but if we were to have a brand, it would be 
to come into a genre and both make fun of that genre, but also still be that genre, mm. if that makes sense. We did that in reality TV with the Joe Schmo show many years back. Um, we did it with Zombieland and we did it with Deadpool where we're allowed to, we, we give ourselves the freedom to kind of mock and parody and poke fun at an existing thing that people love. But we still are an example of a superhero movie, a zombie movie, a reality show in each of those three cases. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a delicate dance sometimes, but it's also a really fun one. It can get very meta and you can, you can point the laughs at others and then point them right back at yourself and the genre that you, you love, but you already see uh, tropes in that you'd like to poke fun at. You know, it, it is fascinating too, the, the sense of uh, how meta it is. Uh, you know, it, it makes, you watch those films and I know with the PG-13 repackaging or reframing, that was very close to the time of release uh, that it was actually filmed. There was a pretty narrow window yeah. there. Um, but the stuff, it feels like the great challenge invested in it is to, is to be timely and, and to stay fresh. And I guess the, the longer lag time between the, the paper and, and the screen probably uh, adds to the challenge for you guys. Yeah, but it's getting shorter and shorter these days. You know, we're shooting Spiderhead right now, Escape from Spiderhead uh, for Netflix. Uh, and, you know, that, that'll wrap in, what, about a week's time with Chris Hemsworth. And it'll be out by summer. Um, so oh. things moving around. Yeah, I think late summer is their hope. So they'll turn it around pretty fast. I mean, Deadpool also and Zombieland, we, we were able to write jokes in the edit bay, you know, ADR and especially behind Deadpool's mask. So that helped keep things fresh too. Like even nine months, a year later, we were still adding in jokes at the last second that were either more timely or that were replacement jokes for jokes that hadn't worked. So that, that was a help in that regard. Oh, that makes perfect sense. I hadn't really thought about that, but that, that's where that, uh, the, the sort of the cipher come, uh, works to your benefit. The yeah, fact we, we would sit in the edit bay and, and uh, think, you know, think of jokes and Ryan would record them on his iPhone, you know, mail it to the editor and come in. And, and there are actually some of his lines recorded on the iPhone in the movie, I would guess, because we fell in love with kind of the, a particular take that we loved that he did on his iPhone. We would just say, keep it. It's so good. Just let's, let's keep it. So. Sure. And of course, when Apple calls, I mean, that's a commercial ready to be made right there. So I think yeah, you guys could, you could go for the shameless cash grab as, as you've uh, yeah. previously described your work. Um, you know, you've mentioned the, the project that you're working on with Joseph, uh, who I, I got to spend some time with back when he was doing the Tron, um, you know, revisitation. And what an interesting guy, what an interesting way that he approaches films almost architecturally, I would say, yeah. um, you know, knowing his background and, and the way that, uh, he thinks about things. Uh, you must be very excited about that project. What, what would you say, uh, are you, uh, would you consider its biggest opportunity right now or maybe its biggest challenge or how are you framing it right now? Well, I mean, I think the most interesting thing about it is that it's hard to describe. I mean, it, it is, it's near future sci-fi, so that'd be the best way to describe its genre. But it is unlike a lot of other movies. It's tough to compare it to anything because of its tone which is both dark and funny and, you know, thrilling. It's a thriller. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I just think that, you know, we've, we've been lucky in the past to combine tones and to find these sweet spots in areas where, you know, there weren't really spots before. I mean, kind of the, I think we pushed Zombieland to a, uh, which was intended originally in our brains, maybe to be a, a scary movie and a funny movie, but we pushed it to a place where it was more comedy than it was scares. 
uh, Deadpool sort of rides weird tones in terms of in one moment he's dying of cancer and he's being tortured and in the very next moment he's cracking a crazy joke. Spiderhead is also a mix of tones. It's it's very dark and there's blood and there's uh, real human angst and, and suffering and yet at the same time it's got this this you know dark sense of humor working through it and we're always trying to thread that needle and sometimes I mean, it doesn't always work but I think again, if, they, if there's another brand that we have, it's it is the combination of tones, and this is no exception. That, that's really interesting, and and you know we see so many people in comedy these days going into horror. Um, you know, uh, Chris Rock, Danny McBride with Halloween, Chris Rock with Saw coming up, uh, 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 Simon Pegg and Nick Frost have a a, a serious horror movie on the way. Uh, that's an interesting thing, and I don't know if it if it's people feeling like their comedy is kind of muzzled right now because of the, the or at least uh, changed by the public discourse and the, the polarization and the, the venom uh, in the public arena, if they're just naturally gravitating towards something that can have the same audacity but come off in a different way, uh, or if, if there's something else that's deeper in that. But you guys have always kind of, or not always, but for a long time now, kind of straddled horror and comedy in a way that a lot of people don't. What do you think about when you see so many of your peerage or uh, luminaries in comedy kind of taking that path toward the, the bloody scares? Brad, what would you say? No, I mean, look, I think there's a, a fine line sometimes uh, between horror and comedy. I think horror movies oftentimes make me laugh just out of sheer you know, terror and, you know, the sense where you're like, you know, I, I, watching a movie like Drag Me to Hell, Sam Raimi's movie, where, you know, you're just so on edge and, and you're, and, and yet you can't help but just get to have those grossed out laughs where you're, you're almost laughing just as a release. Like, so I think horror and comedy are closer, uh, a, cl a closer match and a closer pair than might, you might guess at first, at first look. Um, and I do think, you know, even movies like Aliens, like the most intense movies, you want some comic relief. Like there was Bill Paxton saying, game over, game over, you know, throughout that that grueling movie. Um, it's just a way for the audience to let off a little steam. Um, so yeah, they're, they're strange bedfellows, but I think they are bedfellows. And about levels, right? I mean, those, those are all about levels because you, if you just stay just pure, if Aliens doesn't have that, yeah. then by the end of it, you're just numb. Yeah, you know, totally. Paul, what do you think? Uh, do you, when you see, I mean, you must have seen the same headlines I've seen of all these interesting projects that aren't necessarily expected. I didn't anticipate Danny McBride, you know, playing a flag for Halloween before that happened. And I didn't expect Chris Rock to be the, the apparent saver of the Saw franchise. Yeah, I love it. You know, I love people, you know, expanding their boundaries and doing things unexpected because it leads to interesting, you know, perspectives that you wouldn't otherwise see. And, and, takes genres and places that it wouldn't otherwise go. So it, it's a it's a treat for us to see that, you know, people stretching their creative wings and doing things that are unexpected. We we love the the unexpected. You know, you a lot of times you go to a movie and in the first five minutes you can basically within those first five minutes, you can tell you know exactly what's going to happen over the next, you know, hour and you know, 55 minutes. And 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 so to to put people in unexpected, you know, uh, genres doing unexpected things is, I think, just a treat for the audience because they won't know how it's going to go. Um, and yeah. you are on the edge of your seat. And, and that's, that's what I think that theater experience gives you that, that you know, you're, you're doing it in a communal 
you know, group and you're holy shit, you know, you can't believe it. Like, and, and hopefully, you know, that comes back, that theater experience comes back once the song's over. Yeah. And 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 both of them are based on audacity, you yeah. know, and, and the and the meeting between reality and unpleasant truth. Like that's what comedy is, that's what horror is. Yeah. Like on a basic level. Uh random thing when you guys one of the things I loved uh was Princess Bride and the way that you guys did this beautiful Valentine to it that was also at the same time poked fun at it and and was so clever. Um I love, I'm a big Peter Falk fan, and uh, I, I just I admire so many things that he did. There was a moment that I thought it's funny, but it's also horrific that you would appreciate is that he was doing a, a softball tournament. It's a true story, and he uh, got called out uh, by the ump, and at home plate, proceeded to remove his glass eye uh, at the celebrity event and hold it up to the ump and say, "You need this more than I do." <laughs> so that's horror. That's comedy, but. I just wanted to share that with you guys, and I don't know why. That's a great story. <laughs> great. Story. Um, so one of the things, too, that you guys uh, were working on is uh, uh, also pushing against expectations, I would think, is a story that's based in reality and based in, a, of all things, a fast food-related um, scam, scam that uh, uh, has some uh, very notable uh, collaborator, collaborators with you. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? It's uh, mixed scam, I think, right? Yeah, it, uh, it, it's a great true story about uh, um, a guy who ran security for the McDonald's Monopoly game, uh, who was uh, basically taking stolen tickets, uh, millions of dollars worth, and, and giving them to friends and family uh, around the country. And it's, it's really a story about this lovable loser, you know, uh, um, and we love lovable losers. That's, that's, that's our bread and butter right there. And, and uh, again, dramatic and thrilling and comedic. And we're, we're teamed up with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on it. Uh, ben will hopefully direct and, and Matt will star. Um, and it, 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 we're, we're super proud of it. It's, it's over at, you know, Fox Disney now and, and uh, you know, waiting to find a window and, and, and a good opportunity to get going. So. That's interesting. Where is that based uh, regionally? Like what part of the country was that in? It was in the South, Atlanta is North Carolina, that area. Wow. Um, and this guy, Jerry Jacobson was very much sort of the, uh, the king of his own fiefdom and with, with the security with regard to this project. And he was really the only person who could have pulled off this particular heist because he, he had placed himself right at the center of security to where he was the one, it was like letting the fox watch the proverbial hen house. <laughs> and, uh, but he really was this kind of lovable loser. I mean, he, he was a guy who had sort of slumped through life through various disappointments. And the, but that suddenly happenstance got into a place where he could make a pretty big difference. And uh, he just decided to, to start to push that envelope and make a difference in a bad way. And um, we, we were, you know, when we were approached with the project, we read the article. It was an hey, article. Jeff um, Mage. And uh, Jeff Mage. One, wonderful article but um and we knew it would be thrilling because it's a guy trying to keep a step ahead of the fbi but it was not the kind of project where you were going to have guns and people running down dark alleys and people really terrified because it was mcdonald's and there was this colorfulness to it so again we thought oh this is actually going to play pretty perfectly to us because we like this look at the comic side of things and we wanted to make this kind of this guy kind of a jovial genial guy 
who got in over his head and in a fun way. And uh, and so we leaned into the comedy and it's a fun, we're really proud of that script and we hope it happens. That's great. That's really funny. I swear, I know you said fiefdom, but I heard beefdom when you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there that you he go. had his own beefdom. And then of course, yes. after that, I started thinking of terrible puns and I was thinking it's the fox that guarding the McChicken house is or, or the, the McNuggets go. house. If, uh, if you use that on the poster, I want uh, $17. $17, it's manageable. Um, that's really great. And, and what great collaborators too, you know, I'm so impressed. Uh, every, any time I've ever talked to Matt Damon uh, about anything, I've always been so impressed with the way that he approaches things and, and the way that uh, his mind works. And, and Ben uh, is such an underrated director. Uh, I guess Oscar winning directors aren't particularly underrated, but, but uh, somehow he managed to be uh, not yet uh, recognized for the quality that he really routinely does. I thought, uh, the town was just exceptional. Wow, so good. Yeah, just really, really well done. Um, that's great. And then, you know, um, one of the things that uh, I'm always fascinated with is writing, writing tandems. And so many people in Hollywood um, that I talk to, uh, the best work is often done by tandems as opposed to sort of the lone wolf approach. Uh, and, you know, for our listeners, we have a lot of people listening in that are writers or uh you know, creative uh, minds in different ways. And collaboration is, is a big part of what everybody needs to do and, and wants to do, but it's often elusive and, and tricky and not to put you guys on the spot, but is there anything you would talk about as far as your collaboration that you would share as a, either an insight or, a, you know, a, a, a lesson that you picked up along the way? Well, I mean, one thing that's amazing is we're we're just beginning, I think, our 20th year working together. I think it's about wow. our 20th anniversary when we started working together. Uh, I think, look, it's so great to have a partner uh, because that person can uh, be both moral support and creative support. Uh, you, 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 you have in two people a first line of defense against a bad idea because there's always somebody there to objectively look at it and say, well, I'm not so sure about that one. Uh, whereas if you're alone, it, 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 it's very difficult to know when, you've, when you're onto something good or bad. It, it's, it, you sometimes can, can get it right and oftentimes you wander off into the weeds and there's no one there to notice. So I think we provide a great first line of defense against anything bad getting into any project, a bad line or a bad choice or anything that doesn't work. Um, and it's really nice to have somebody go through the roller coaster of Hollywood with someone with whom to commiserate. Like you can, you can do that with you know your wife and your friends and your peers, but to have someone who's really in that trench with you, suffering every downswing and 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 then also celebrating every upswing is is very very important. What would you say, Paul? Uh, yeah, I would echo everything you said. Uh, um, it, it, it's the great writing with Rhett's the greatest gift, you know, I've been given other than my family. Um, and uh, um, we, we have a rule uh, when we're collaborating, which is, you know, he who cares most wins. Like whoever's like, we have very few disagreements over creative, over anything, but especially creative. And there'll be times and moments and scenes and lines that we both fall in love with or one of us falls in love with that the other doesn't. But ultimately, that, that rule that, that, that's really made us you know, last for so long as partners and, and 
collaborators is he who cares most wins and and it always works you know because passion always wins out and and there'll be some some line that you know i'll take out or change and red will put back in we have a rule which is basically um if you change something the other person can't change it back to what it was it has to be something new but very occasionally we'll change we'll go back to the you know original line because we love it so much and then you know the we'll send it back and that line will get changed again and then passive aggressively it'll come back into the script and at that point we'll jump on the phone and be like so uh, this line you know and, and we'll discuss it and it's like no i really do love it i really do love it and and usually that passion wins out so um again it's it's a uh, a great gift and and uh, i really owe my my career to red so and, and it started on a whim and that's important pointing out too like you know paul paul was working on a reality show i was a screenwriter he said we ought to come up with an idea for a reality show sometime we did and we made that show we resold it and we made it but it doesn't you don't have to when you form a partnership intend to be together for 20 years you can just try it out try out a, try out a project write something together see what happens and if it doesn't work no harm no foul you move on with your life so you're not it's not like a marriage at the beginning where you're pledging to be with someone forever. I, I encourage people, if, if you have something that you like and somebody else wants to do it with you and you want to try that out, why not? Just try it. I mean, the worst thing that you have to worry about is giving out 50% of the money. You know, it's like the, that that's the worst thing. And if it doesn't work out with one project, you can pull the plug and go find another writing partner So or another partner. So there's, there's very little risk or, or downside to it. Um, and, uh, and it, it's it's uh, for us proved to be well worth it. it sounds like an ad for swingers i mean uh, you're like a swinging relationship <laughs> yeah, what's the worst thing that happened <laughs> um what, what about these days that we live in you know i don't want to uh put like a too much well i don't want to overblow things but is it is it is it harder to be funny the uh moving forward or is it do you feel anything that's uh incumbent upon you to include or not include because of the days that we live in right now because language and and uh, and polarization in the audience i mean do you feel a, a sense that you need to take things on or a sense that you need to try to uh, not uh, separate people boy i mean you're always sort of living in fear of doing something that's divisive that's that's turned on by one side or the other um but I think you just have to be true to your story and your characters and and uh, we're always writing. We're not we're not stand up comics. We're not writing jokes for ourselves. We're writing things that come out of the mouths of human beings. And so ultimately, we're just trying to uh, keep true to our characters. And if the character is a funny, irreverent person, letting them be that. And if they're not, they're not. Um, I think that we are very much hoping that the theatrical experience comes back because we do think that is a big part of enjoying a comedy is sitting around with, with a group of people and all laughing at it together. I, for one, actually think that theaters are gonna come racing back. I'm, I'm actually one of the few optimists because I feel like by being deprived of them for, for now going on a year, I think we're gonna appreciate them and relish them and, and seek them out more than ever. Like I, I'm so sick of watching movies at home. Like I really wanna go out and get that popcorn and that hot dog and sit down and watch a movie with a big group of you people. Eat a hot dog at, do you eat a so, hot dog at the movies? Okay, maybe not a hot dog. Twizzlers, I you don't know. know. How bad Twizzlers, those I, things I, are? I, I, yeah, 
Oh, my favorite Seinfeld episode contains a theatrical hot dog that's been sitting there for weeks that Kramer eats. And it's the expression when he's eating it, you have to go rewatch that episode. But uh, but yeah, but there's something about that communal experience that I think people are actually, I, I think they're craving right now. And, and that excites me as somebody who's writing, you know, we're writing a comedy right now uh, or a movie that has a lot of laughs in it, we hope. Um, and I'm already, you know, futuring out to seeing that movie on a big screen and in a crowd full of people because that's where it's at. For oh, that's and, great. and as far as trying to be funny during this this time, like actually sitting down and trying to be funny, I find it's hard to get into that 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 mindset. But once you're there, it, it it's such a wonderful release uh, with all the negativity going on in the world it's like you're living in some fantasy land off you know a million miles away and and uh and, and you can really explore that funny in a, in a great way that that heals the soul a little bit um, yeah. but it, it's hard to get there it's hard with all the shit going on but as you're saying that it makes me think of the great escape which to me is like the movie that I saw, I think, more times than any other movie during my youth. I just saw it like every Sunday for some reason. Like, they felt like there was a lot of prison movies on TV where I grew up. A lot of POW movies. Uh, they were on a steady cycle. I think it was sort of preparing. Uh, by the way, I am a Floridian by birth, so but I, you know, I escaped and everything. But uh, <laughs> but like they showed us like Brubaker and Birdman from Alcatraz and Cool Hand Luke and Great Escape. Like every Sunday, I think they were preparing us. But uh, the reason I bring that up is the music scene when they they have the Fourth of July celebration and in, in the Great Escape it is the most exhilarating, wonderful, spirited scene because of everything that is it goes against, you know. And to go to a movie and laugh would be like, you know, making booze for Fourth of July for Steve McQueen and James Garner and Charles Bronson yeah. and and taking a little march through the, the public square. There, something about it that's actually, there's a real purity to it. Uh, so boy, I hope you guys are right. And I, in fact, I think, you know, what we could do is it'd be great to make an appointment if you guys want next November, we should do a screening. I, uh, I know the folks over at the Egyptian would do it, but we could do a screening of Deadpool and the sequel and maybe do a Toys for Tots action figure fundraiser or something like that everybody could bring an action figure right, dying, to see new, dying to see the new egyptian i've seen pictures and it looks amazing yeah so let's do that for let's do let's make a date yeah. for next thanksgiving like uh, right around then we'll uh, find a date on their calendar and and anybody that brings an action figure wrapped we'll let them in and then we can give the toys uh, horribly inappropriate toys to to children across southern california and beyond yeah, and the Egyptian's a great place to see double features too. I've seen some of their film noir things where you go for a night and just see two movies back to back. And see, suddenly you're back in childhood. I remember I saw, I think it was the great Muppet Caper and Condor Man back to back one time with double feature. And it's just like for a kid to be able to have the lights go down and then the lights come up and then go back oh, down man. again. That's, I haven't, that's I haven't seen a double feature since I was a little. Do they, do double features still exist? They do it, or, it, like, yeah. you know, revival. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've done a bunch of double features there. Um, uh, I did uh, some really cool ones, uh, pretty exciting ones. Uh, also up the street, I did like a Christopher Nolan. Uh, uh, we did Insomnia and um, Batman Begins. Uh, and then I interviewed him in between. Uh, and we did, I interviewed Ridley Scott between Alien and Blade Runner. Oh, pretty man. good That's pretty good, good double feature Amazing. but the egyptian is like you said it's just it's a it's a palace and so many things have happened there through the years i mean charlie chaplin had premieres there um ben hur premiered there return of the jedi premiered there 
uh, their red carpet premieres, you know, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a great place. So we, we should definitely do that. I've always thought that it would be great and maybe we can get, uh, that friend of yours, uh, what's his face, uh, to send a taped message or something that movie star, movie <laughs> yeah. star guy. This is just a treat. Um, is there, I mean, we talked about so many of your different projects, um, but uh, right now, under the way, underway is uh, you said uh, the Spiderhead project is pretty close to wrapping. Yeah, a week from wrapping. That's fantastic. So, Australia now, so that's great. And then uh, so much more to look forward to. And and we got to keep an eye on McScam. Uh, I just wish this guy had been in my family. I you know I would be making this uh, yeah. this interview over a much nicer computer. Or in jail. Or yeah, in jail. some of those people. Yeah, some of those people still have their. Or still have their you know proverbial wages being garnished by the by the federal government even now they're still writing checks to pay back what they stole, which you know all the only victim I guess was the U.S. public who thought they were going to have a chance to win this game and literally had zero chance for going on twelve years. So it's it's a fun one. That's amazing. That is amazing. And now I think I'm going to go watch Condor Man because I haven't thought about that in a really Ooh, long I, time. I, that's not. That's not going to hold. Up. <laughs> that's not going to fly well. Uh, that bird don't fly anymore. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Rhett Reese, Paul Wernick, you guys are awesome. Uh, it means a lot to me that you guys did this. Uh, we have high hopes for this podcast, and it's great to have you guys on. Thank you for Thank having me. Terrific. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon, and right. have a great new year. All right. You too. Take care. All right. Okay. Well, it was fun to hear both of those guys talk. Um, I didn't realize that they were doing that movie. Um, what's it? McScam with Damon and Affleck. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. That should be, it should be good. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that the first time you hear it, it's kind of, a, I would say head scratcher, but it's not quite what you're expecting. So it's always like, Hmm, I'll have to see that. Um, but uh, they're really excited about it. And I want to go back and read the original article magazine article that's uh, or a website article that led to, their interest yeah um i'm a huge fan of ben affleck's directing i mean obviously there's the town that we all think of but town, yeah. he also won an oscar for argo yeah that's right he won an oscar for argo and um and of course he and he did hollywood land uh in which he played george reeves uh the the star of the adventures of superman on uh television for many many years oh interesting yeah, about his death, you know, because some people believe it was murder, some people believe it was suicide. It was officially ruled suicide, but he did a movie uh, about that um, that moment in time and that actor. So uh, it, it's kind of funny. He wears a Superman suit in that, um, and then later he plays Batman. Uh, he earlier in that he played Daredevil. Um, he's he's a man with uh, uh, kind of an unusual superhero resume. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of unusual things, you know, Argo has a comic book connection too um, that a lot of people don't know. If the production, the, the movie Argo is about a, a true story about um, uh, a production of a science fiction movie that was used as a ruse, of, uh, as a, a cover for a uh, important and dangerous mission into Iran to help the hostages who were being held, um, you know, back in the late 70s. Um, that production um, was called Argo, and uh, Argo was had a concept art for this elaborate science fiction world, and, and all these Im all the imagery. It was based on artwork 
not based on it, it was artwork that was done by none other than Jack Kirby, who is, of course, the legend of uh, Marvel Comics and, and comics in general, arguably the most important figure in the, in the history of the American comic book. Oh, yeah. Well, there's our comic book tie-in for the week. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> then Jack Kirby, the year that Argo won Best Picture, the highest grossing film that year was The Avengers. Uh, uh, he did the artwork that started both things. Like, he did the art. He co-created The Avengers with Jack Kirby, obviously with Stan Lee, uh, and he did the concept work for Argo. So that year, the highest grossing film and the film given the highest artistic honor um, both started on Jack Kirby's sketch deck. I thought that was kind of cool. That's, yeah, that's some interesting knowledge that I'm sure not a lot of people knew, but that's very cool. That being said, though, I know we have a great essential shelf for the week. Yes, we do. We have a, a good one this week, and it's a little offbeat in the fact that most people, when they hear comic books, they still think superheroes, and, and I'm, I'm uh, susceptible that, to that myself, and uh, the essential shelf, for instance, most of it is superhero stories, but um, this week we're going with one of our non-superhero um, themed uh, masterpieces, and that's a movie uh, inspiring graphic novel called Road to Perdition. Uh, of course, a lot of people will remember the film by uh, the great Sam Mendes. I think it's one of his best movies. And I remember when Road to Perdition came out, um, it, I thought that movie was going to win Best Picture when I saw it. I really, really did. And I, I still think it deserved it. Uh, it's got a fantastic cast. Uh, Tom Hanks, Paul Newman in his last live action screen appearance, Jude Law. Daniel Craig, who's almost unrecognizable in that film because it's pre-James Bond before he, uh, and then this, he's a very sort of callow um, uh, character. Uh, and I have a real soft spot for that movie. Uh, and it was produced by Richard Zanuck, uh, who was a, a guy that I interviewed quite a few times and he was really, uh, really good to me uh, through the years uh, as far as sourcing and helping me get access to things, including uh, Tim Burton, who would produce a lot of Tim Burton movies. But that movie was based on uh, this graphic novel, Road to Perdition, uh, which was written by Max Allen Collins, who's a the mystery writer. Uh, and uh, published back in 1998 uh, by uh, Paradox Press, um, which was a DC Comics imprint. And uh, it's uh, just like the movie, it's a, it's a, it's a period piece, uh, you know, uh, crime story about uh, a hitman for, uh, uh, the mob who's on the run because he wants to save his son who has witnessed something that he should not have witnessed. And now he is uh, both expendable and dangerous um, in the eyes of uh, the organized crime bosses who employ his father. Uh, and that's the father that's played by Tom Hanks in the movie. So it's a great uh, father and son on the run um, tale written by Max Allen Collins, who um, comic book fans, uh, of a certain age, uh, we'll remember that name from things like uh, Ms. Tree, MS period Tree, who was a private eye uh, series uh, back in the 80s that he did. Um, and uh, I think Road to Perdition is, I think, as I said, it's a, a terrific film. I think a lot of people don't know it's based on a comic book. You know, it's one of those movies that like, uh, you know, History of Violence or Men in Black or uh, Cowboys and Aliens doesn't necessarily hit you over the head the fact that it started as a comic book. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people don't know Men in Black was a comic book uh, still. Uh, Road to Perdition 
even more so, especially because of the stately nature of that film. It looks like a, you know, it could sit on the shelf with uh, The Godfather and L.A. Confidential with its production values and its really beautiful look and everything. And it feels like a very mature film uh, in uh, a very sophisticated film. And a lot of people don't necessarily associate that with comics. Um, it was inspired, you know, uh, by another comic book. Uh, it was inspired by Lone Wolf and Cub, which is the, the fantastic manga series about a, a samurai and, and uh, a child that accompanies him. And it has a lot in, in common also with stories like Cormac McCarthy's The Road. But mm -hmm. uh, if you like the movie Road to Perdition, or even if you haven't seen it, um, uh, this is definitely book worth checking out and it's a it's a great way to see um how a comic book really does feel like a storyboard for a film because if you look at that comic while you're watching the movie it feels like a storyboard for the film yeah well i've, I've seen the movie in fact i think i that was one of my first quarantine watches was road to perdition and it was like i knew nothing about it except for that tom hanks face was on the front and it was like when the front first credits were rolling, I was like, oh, I know Sam Mendes. He just did 1917. Yeah. Oh, there's, you know, it's just like one after another. Oh, Jude Law's in this. Oh, Daniel Craig's in this. It's just kind of yeah. crazy. Um, but that comic is not something I knew about until you brought it up to me today. So that's very high on my list. I think that I'm going to try to check that out as soon as yeah. possible. Yeah, it's definitely worth worth checking out. And, um, you know, the art is really great by Richard Pierce Rayner. Um, it's very clean and, and uh, always in service of the story. It's, it's not very showy or flashy, and, um, uh, but it's really, really effective. Uh, and there would be a couple of sequels to it. Uh, you know, there was uh, On the Road to Perdition. That's a, that was a two, I think there were two books released of that, um, or actually three, uh, and uh, Return to Perdition. So there, there was uh, the three book prequel and then the sequel Returned to Perdition. Those all had different artists, but uh, Max, Allen, Max Allen Collins, uh, you know, writes throughout. And, um, you know, he's a well-known uh, American mystery writer. Uh, and he, I know his name, I saw his name first when I was a youngster uh, reading the uh, funny pages, as they called them in the newspaper. I, I was a big fan of um, the Sunday comics and, and uh, reading all the different strips and uh, he was writing uh, the strip Dick Tracy um, for quite a while and, and that's you know uh, that character was created by Chester Gould but um, you know Max Allen Collins was the name that was on it when I was a kid so I, I knew him from that. Oh interesting. Um, yeah so it's good stuff I, I uh, highly recommend it and I look forward to finding out what you think about it. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's one of those that uh, it's also it's black and white, so it's it's uh, it gives it a different feel than a lot of other comic books. Somehow um, it kind of lends itself to the uh, the crime genre, I think. Yeah, definitely. Probably going for that film noir almost kind of aspect, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fedoras so, and Tommy guns. Exactly, uh, Chicago typewriters. That's what they called Tommy guns back then. I didn't. Know that. <laughs> I learned that recently. I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Although Chicago typewriters is that's kind of hard to say it's kind of long especially when you're getting shot at so I think Tommy Gunn's a little faster I, I'm yeah gonna stick, I'm gonna stick with the Tommy Gunn but, uh, <laughs> but Evan I want to tell you again thank you uh, so much for your service to the space of mind and the mind of space and and you've been a great uh, a great pal and partner and 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 collaborator on this and I want to miss you but I'm really really happy for you uh, 
and look forward to uh, working with you again down the line sometime. Yeah, we definitely will work together again. And, you know, hopefully next time we work together, we actually get to meet each other in person. Yeah, well, yeah, I got to tell you, it, I'm, it's, I'm pretty disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to meet you and you're going to be four feet tall, you know? Well, I have been beaten down by life, so I'm losing, <laughs> losing, losing to, uh, uh, height every minute. But uh, uh, that sounds great, Evan. And uh, look forward to uh, doing that very thing. And, uh, and for the listeners out there, we'll be back. Um, he won't, but we will. And uh, I hope you stick with us. And uh, really, if, uh, if we all keep each other in our memory, we're always in the same mind space. Oh. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys can check Jeff out here again. Same Jeff time, same Jeff channel next week. And I uh, uh, hope you guys have a great week and happy inauguration. Mm-hmm.